Hello and welcome to the latest Chamber podcast. In this episode, we're lifting the lid on the economy of Birmingham and having a good old rummage around inside because we are talking about the 2021 Birmingham Economic Review. I'm Henrietta Brody, Chief Executive of the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce, and I'm joined by Professor Simon Collinson, Deputy Pro Vice Chancellor for Regional Engagement, Director of the West Midlands Regional Economic Development Institute, and so much more at the University of Birmingham. Simon, welcome. Thank you very much, Henrietta. It's fantastic to be here chatting with you today. So, first up, I wondered if you could help us set the scene with a bit of a quick fire overview of what the Birmingham Economic Review is all about. Yeah, well, this is our sixth year. It's a fantastic partnership between City Ready, University of Birmingham and the Chamber. And this year has been really quite difficult. It's been a complex year to track. So the the annual um, review captures a sort of summary of all the data that City Ready collects and analyzes. So year round, we we pick up indicators on economic and social trends in the region and try and compare the trend trends in our region to other regions and the UK national average. And the key issue there is to understand the best ways to support economic growth, um, not just faster growth, not just more productivity, but we're you know, interested, as others are, in fairer, less unequal growth and also greener growth, so more environmentally sustainable. So City Ready works with the Chamber, but also other public organisations with private firms and also with the universities trying to connect everybody to the key challenges that the, uh, that the region has in, in, in growing better and faster and more environmentally sustainably fantastic and it really is an influential publication because i know we always follow up with attendees at birmingham economic review launch events be they leaders from public private or third sector and i'm always impressed with the number that feedback that they've used it for things like future gazing strategy and planning and informing investment decisions you know i think our feedback forms normally around 90 percent of delegates have been able to actually use the birmingham economic review in their day-to-day work so it really does make a big impact and like you say we're on year six. We started in 2016. I, I don't think when we were planning our first Birmingham Economic Review, Simon, that we realised quite how influential the time between 2016 and now would be, you know, with everything from Brexit and COVID and beyond. But what are we finding this year, back to 2021? How has the city's economy been impacted by the last 12 months? And critically, are we recovering? So following um, pretty fast on the heels of Brexit, the COVID pandemic, Um, I mean, it's hit the UK economy harder than most OECD countries. That's the first thing. But actually, it's hit the West Midlands harder than almost any other UK regions. This is an economic shock. We've had falls of output, productivity, employment, and actually, importantly, new levels of inequality. Um, Regional productivity uh, fell by 13% in 2020, and that's more than any other region uh, in the UK. Um, footfall in Birmingham City Centre, for example, dropped 46% in the 12 months to June 2021. So all of these sort of the lockdown events and the changing patterns of both consumer behaviour and firms meant that, you know, the knock on effect to very high uh, levels of unemployment and high furlough rates. And we've got, you know, almost the top uh, of any region in the UK on those. So at the peak Between September and November 2020 last year, there were 46,000 redundancies in the West Midlands region, and that was the peak. But either side of that, a lot of furloughs and a lot of job losses. So, you know, it's hit us hard. Um, I mean, there are really, really strong signs of recovery, um, but there are also some structural challenges for our region that hit us a bit more than other regions. Uh, But we're, we're on the way back, I think. 
That's fantastic. So I know it was such a huge shock to the uh, the economy and business community. Our quarterly business report, our sort of flagship publication from the Greater Birmingham Chambers of a regular measure of business sentiments, um, that showed some of the worst stats on record for Q2 2020. So, you know, sharpest falls in domestic demand, export demand, business confidence, etc., worsening cash flow position, as whole sections of the economy were turned off in one go, weren't they? So it really was dramatic. But, uh, you know, fantastic to hear that we are starting to see that. You know, we're starting to see some of that positivity come back in business expectations of some level of growth coming up. But like you say, huge impacts, huge change. Are there going to be lasting changes, scars or opportunities for the city coming from the pandemic, from what you're seeing so far in the data? I think there's a, I mean, there is an opportunity here to refresh, restructure. And and I think, you know, for some businesses, it's going to have to be quite fundamental. You know, first of all, in terms of timelines, this is going to take a while. Um, And and there are additional challenges I'll hopefully come on and talk about. But in some ways, if you look at just productivity, most of the economists looking at this um, think we're only likely to recover back to our pre-pandemic levels of productivity by 2023. It's going to take another year, um, a year plus. So, it, it takes quite a while for, for things not just to get back to normal, but actually a new normal. And I mean a new normal in the sense that some of these challenges are short term, you know, getting people back to work, uh, getting um, the supply chain stuff sorted out, getting some of the trade issues that are, are, are really a problem um, sorted out. And some of that hopefully is short to medium term, but there are there are really longer term structural changes happening. And pandemics really accelerated these work-life balance it's changed for good and some companies are dealing with this in different ways to other companies the use of our city centers spending patterns in city centers following footfall it won't go back to what it was um, and there needs to be some restructuring there but you know on top of that there are probably longer term structural shifts in our global trade dependencies mm-hmm. and our supply chains these aren't just short-term things so you know on the negative side firms have really got to move very quickly to adapt and there's a test here for everybody over how agile you are um, and they've got to make I think fundamental changes to their business models um, we will need to see a lot more skills training because reskilling upskilling is a challenge we'll talk more about that but it's an opportunity to bring in more investment in innovation and automation because the fundamental restructuring of a company of an organization gives you that opportunity to think about doing new things in different ways I think just finishing on a positive note, though, what we notice in the data we track, particularly the PMI data from NatWest, is that actually business optimism in our region is really strong. In fact, it's stronger than uh, the UK average by quite a lot. And relative to other places, despite additional challenges getting thrown up, um, particularly around because we're a a manufacturing centre for the the UK, um, businesses are talking about a high level optimism for future future increase and growth and I think that's a really good thing to hold on to for us. Fantastic and on that you know we, we delivered a, a lot of support for businesses during the pandemic and I can't overstate how challenging it was for some business owners but there's not a single business that I speak to that hadn't found some sort of opportunity from the p- pandemic. Like you say that short sharp shock that being forced to adapt forced to innovate just proved to a lot of businesses how quickly you can change and pivot and do things differently and bring forward uh, sort of new services and adapt to the environment so lots of positives in there on the people side as well 
digging into people and talent, you know, one of the key themes we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is obviously this this piece around skill shortages in key industries, but also a really lively recruitment market and challenges with retention as well. We're hearing a lot from businesses on that matter at the moment. And, you know, it does seem that there was huge, huge disruption to the structure and nature of the workforce at the start of the pandemic as sectors such as hospitality lost a load of employees and droves to other industries as they were forced to close. Then a significant number of businesses all looking to grow at exactly the same time as we came out of the pandemic and restrictions were lifted, uh, leading to that fierce competition for staff. And then layering on top of that post-Brexit immigration system, adding additional barriers to attracting talents and labour from the EU. But what is the labour market looking like at the moment? You know, you alluded to those sort of changes in the labour market. What is going on there? Yeah, this is massively challenging. I mean, it's actually quite difficult to track uh, when you look at the numbers and you try and understand the causes of these, uh, you know, these issues, certainly there's a there's been for quite a while a long term supply demand gap in exactly the type of skills that firms want, and the education system is producing, but also frankly firms are producing because firms are you know responsible for training and upskilling, so it's not just the education system; it's the education system and how much money and investment firms are putting into skills training. But you know some of this is short term. But some of it is longer term and is no question that it, in my mind, is probably the greatest constraint on economic growth and prosperity for our region, probably nationally and potentially globally. Um, and this is both, you know, um, a, a, a just a shortage of excellent talent, but actually a specific shortage of particular kinds of skills that firms need to grow. Now, the interesting um, scenarios for this region are challenging, but again, there are opportunities here. By 2040, we're expecting in the West Midlands about a 40% drop in employment in manufacturing. We're a big manufacturing region. Now, manufacturing industry is not expected to decline. It'll stay productive. It'll grow. It just won't employ as many people. So automation, reskilling, and changes in the structure of that industry mean a 40% drop, which is absolutely huge. Countering that, we have increased demand predicted for professional scientific technical skills based and R&D based um, industries, creative uh, business professional financial services. So 20% growth uh, in some of these areas and in particular digital businesses. Digital businesses have the potential, according to a couple of surveys, to add about 2.7 billion worth of growth in our region, um, at least by 2030, if not sooner. And this accounts for also about 52,000 additional jobs in the West Midlands. The dilemma there is that that we expect demand um, uh, from firms to grow in those digital businesses. What we're not clear on is the supply of skills to meet that demand. And a report by McKinsey for the Industrial Strategy Council nationally says that by 2030, we're expecting a national shortfall of about 5 million workers in digital skills. So that's just one area where you've got to have really aggressive upskilling and reskilling to enable firms to get hold of the talent they need to innovate, to move into new markets, to export, to do the things they need to do. What is extremely positive about this picture is that the Chamber and other organisations, the Combined Authority included, have got this message. And a lot of firms have got this message and are starting to get this message. I mean, if there's anything... Uh, good about a crisis that we're seeing in skills, it is prompting this sort of action around the urgency to upskill and reskill in the region. I think that's happening now. 
Absolutely. And if we get it right, there is such a cracking opportunity for the city in this space, isn't there? I mean, I know we're already the largest tech centre outside of London with more programmers than any other regional city. We're seeing lots of businesses being attracted to the city in part because of the fantastic universities, including the University of Birmingham, um, and its sort of reputation as a centre for digital skills. You know, companies such as Goldman Sachs, for instance, Uh, But with these opportunities, as you say, and those sort of shortfalls in skills, are we seeing local residents being able to access jobs from some of the opportunities that have come into the city? You know, you mentioned Goldman Sachs. There's also BT, massive employment growth in the city. And then away from tech and into a sort of wide variety of different roles, we're seeing huge job creation, the supply chain for HS2. But I know one of the um, sort of recurrent themes from the Birmingham Economic Review, if you like, is are local citizens being able to access those opportunities or have we got disconnects within the city itself? That's a critical question. Um, and, and as I said at the beginning, I mean, our growth has to be you know, improved productivity, competitiveness, growth of firms and the regional economy as a whole. But it has to be much more inclusive. It has to achieve uh, a reduction in the really high levels of inequality. And inequality in socioeconomic ter- uh, terms has increased. It's accelerated hugely because of the pandemic. Um, a lot of people, communities and firms have done well. Uh, a much larger number are really struggling more than they did before. So, so absolutely. I mean, there are a number of opportunities here, but the upskilling piece is critical. If you upskill an individual from a low income household, it improves their ability to gain a higher income and increase the money going into that household And that translates into communities that are currently at the lowest levels of our deprivation indices in the region. So a number of ways this has to happen. There has to be interventions to support um, upskilling, reskilling, particularly of low income individuals. But secondly, there's a multiplier effect. And that is, you know, the Goldman Sachs comes in. It does bring high income earners. It is also a company, as is HSBC, PwC, all these financial services companies. They're very interested in hiring much more diverse Uh, recruits and there's an opportunity there for people without qualifications to enter these companies Um, but the multiplier effect also works through supply chains as long as those firms are dedicated to having a civic responsibility as long as they bring in smaller firms you know less uh, qualified individuals within those firms and as long as they sort of put in place for example procurement uh, conditions that actually tie in some retraining Uh, and some ethical conditions that improve the communities uh, in the city region. There are ways that large firms and high-income groups can um, have a generative effect on low incomes. But again, I come back to the skills issue. We all have to be focused on helping people develop the kinds of skills so it enables them to get into the workforce. And that uh, knock-on effect is just uh, hugely positive. Yeah, absolutely. And that role of business and really meaningfully engaging with education, engaging with young people who are out of employment, particularly coming out of the pandemic, where, as you say, we know young people's prospects were some of the most dramatically impacted. Um, It really is critical to keep up that engagement and maintain those relationships, not build on them as we steam ahead. Speaking of investment and exciting opportunities, there's some good stuff coming up for Birmingham, isn't there? There's Commonwealth Games next year. HS2 is in full steam ahead for phase one one at least uh, and lots of excitement coming our way from those major investments looking at the games you know do you see the games as having a potential impact on the city and the economy and how do you see those opportunities for the city to make the most of what will be a bit of a once in a generation event 
That's wonderful. Um, absolutely wonderful. University of Birmingham is um, a lead patron sponsor of the Games. We're going to host some of the activities. Uh, students and faculty staff are all going to get involved. But for the city, for the region, it's absolutely wonderful. It is a massive opportunity for a number of things. I mean, first of all, brand and reputation and bringing the world to this place and letting them see this place. I mean, that is something that's going to take a step change because when people come to Birmingham, they see Birmingham, their views of Birmingham change. It is a fantastic place. It needs to build its global reputation to meet, you know, where it should be in, in international standing. So that, that, I mean, that's the first thing. I mean, there are, there are really short-term gains from the footfall and from the business boost we'll get. We need to make sure that local suppliers, and I know the chamber is really onto this, the local firms benefit from the procurement and the supply chain boost that happens. Um, contracts, consultants, you know, service industries, all of the entertainment arts, they've got to be the preferred supplier. And um, we'll see a, a short-term boost there. I think, though, then there's a piece around the longer term. You know, it, it's partly the brand and reputation for this fantastic place. But there's infrastructure, you know, that's going to be built and developed, and we've got to maintain that. But more than physical infrastructure, we need to use this as an opportunity to, you know, really build on our fantastic assets and people and talent uh, for innovation in the cultural arts, in the creative industries, and in sports. You know, we have wonderful science and tech, and we have wonderful sports people. But in terms of culture and the arts, this is a hotbed of this stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's an opportunity to showcase, build on that, and become a global center of excellence for these kinds of things in connection with, you know, a world event uh, focused on sports. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The, the potential knock-on impacts are just, it's very exciting. It's like all of these things, it's a springboard. We've got to then jump off it and use it to sort of propel us forward in those areas, as you say. But it's a really exciting opportunity for the region. I know what we're looking forward to, as well as, as you say, really pushing to ensure local businesses have access to those opportunities, particularly in the supply chain to the games. We're also looking from the chamber side. It's the opportunity for using it as a catalyst for building new trading relationships with Commonwealth nations. Uh, particularly looking at those uh, nations along the Queen's Baton Relay route at the moment. We've got some quite exciting partnerships that will be launching in the near future aimed at helping businesses build awareness and understanding of those markets and getting in and get those opportunities to, to find suppliers and uh, find those who are going to be future customers. So a really exciting opportunity on that bilateral trade piece, particularly as we're in this uh, slightly complex environment for global trade. Looking at HS2, that is a mega investment, isn't it? You know, sort of, again, biggest investment in infrastructure for a generation. Two uh, sites in Greater Birmingham. So obviously in Birmingham itself, Curzon Street, with an interchange station just out at Solihull. Um, how can HS2 drive economic recovery? I mean, can it? Is that part of that? And how significant really is it for the region? It's it's huge. Um and it's less temporary than the Commonwealth Games, if that makes sense. But exactly the same logic applies. There's going to be a short-term boost and there's going to be a long-term potential and an opportunity. And the short-term boost is around infrastructure, construction, property. Um, a great opportunity to refresh parts of our city. Um, and the city's looking better and better. But I think the second thing is, you know, uh, transport connectivity with London. There's a contested debate about this. As far as I'm concerned, this is part of fulfilling a demand supply skills gap because you will have, I think, better 
um, connections between talent in London and talent up here. You won't get a movement of people down to London. In fact, we're already seeing a shift the other way. We have much better student graduate retention in the region, and we're starting to pull in talent from other cities and London. This will accelerate that, but it'll accelerate the, the, the interaction and the integration between value chains in both those great cities. Um, so, so infrastructure first, transport connectivity second, third, innovation. This is the long-term play. And it's connected with the fourth, which is around skills and talent. But we need to use this as an opportunity, um, you know, to pilot new, greener, advanced construction technologies, ways of working. We need to use it to build what we already have as a starting point, an advanced hub in rail innovation, rail technology. University of Birmingham plays a strong role in that. But it's linked to a much broader ecosystem of innovation around greener, uh, energy efficient transport and digital control systems um, and low carbon um, technology and processes in firms. So mobile transport connected to the automotive industry uh, with rail is a fantastic opportunity. And we've already got some great university related assets and science and technology there. But lastly, it's got to be tied to skills. We've got to attract, build and retain some of the best skill base for that innovation to be a center for you know rail technology but advanced transport globally and i think we're on that route this is an opportunity to lock it in and grow it to be a global center absolutely it is it's an incredible investment when you look at the scale of it and the potential impacts it can have uh, and i know we were talking opportunities for local businesses around commonwealth games i think hs2 have just released another 250 packages of work uh, from their supply chain so businesses can bid for all sorts of uh, different opportunities there it is a really big opportunity in that sense but something that i find very exciting is also interchange station and its development potential you know Curzon Street is going to be amazing. I have to admit, I was a bit of a nerd. Watched their archaeological uh, excavations. There have been a number of really good webinars and documentaries on that. Absolutely fascinating. And it will completely change that gateway into the city. But interchange, at the moment, it's a muddy field by a motorway, isn't it? There's not a lot there. Even the archaeology showed there's never been anything there. And yet the station that's being built there, to pick up on your point about sustainability, I think that it's going to be the greenest station Ever. They're, they're piloting lots of new construction techniques, as you say, lots of new uh, technologies being put into that. And then also the opportunity for investment around that site. There's plans afoot exploring a health and innovation campus, you know, with a sort of 5,000 new homes and 650,000 square feet of commercial space in what I say, as I say, is a muddy field right now. So the transformation potential just from that one small piece of this major project is enormous. But anyway, picking up on that piece on sustainability, this is a really massive issue for businesses, isn't it? You know, COVID-19 has been hugely disruptive, but when you compare it against the long-term impact of climate change and the scale of the challenge and opportunity of transitioning to a net zero economy, it almost pales in comparison, doesn't it, really, of the scale of that? Um we're currently, of course, running a sustainable business series, of which the University of Birmingham is a sponsor, uh, which aims to help businesses understand how they can make progress to being more environmentally sustainable and hit those net zero objectives. What do you see as the key challenges and opportunities for Birmingham in this transition to net zero? You know, you've, you've already mentioned manufacturing, for instance. We've got a, a big automotive supply chain and combustion engines at the moment with great innovation in electric vehicles as well. But, you know, there's one piece there on that uh, supply chain in the region. But what do you see as those big challenges and opportunities for the city on that transition to net zero? 
No, this is so, so great questions, Henrietta. And this is the challenge of the century. I mean, this is huge. And, and we're, we're increasingly becoming more aware of the timetable we need to react and be agile and adapt to this. So um, I think the first thing to say is it's fantastic that groups like yours are not just talking about it. I mean, one of the problems is there's a lot of talking going on. Um, what we need to do is get serious about helping firms go through a really difficult, challenging transition with really practical on the ground solution to upskilling, you know, new skills, new management practices and processes, and how do you embed and adopt new technologies that will do what they're advertised to do. So that's the first thing. We've got to bridge the gap between the narrative and the rhetoric and the the actual action. Um, but we, this is a fantastic region for doing that. Um, it is an agility challenge for firms, and they'll either be pushed through regulation or through their customers or through just simply going out of business to become hugely more um, sustainable in the way they produce what they sell and how they um, how they distribute and sell what they do. So, so in some ways, the region has great opportunity. We have a fantastic uh, set of what I call STEM assets, science and technology, engineering, manufacturing assets that actually are starting to pivot hugely effectively towards green tech, but also new processes, new ways of working and new ways of adopting technology. So we need to get better at that. We need to harness our great universities and Manufacturing Technology Centre, Warwick Manufacturing Group, um, and specialist centres like the Tisley Energy Park that are dedicated to both innovation, science and technology innovation, but also supporting the development of tech in small firms and in housing uh, refit projects, um, you know, translating science and technology on a page into active systems on the ground. Um, we've got to accelerate this. We really, I think, need a lot more government funding. The government wants this nationally. We should be a centre of excellence for knowledge translation, for training skills and development of sustainable technology, for energy storage systems, for cold chain supply uh, uh, distribution systems. Um, and we need more funding to go into not necessarily the science and tech, but the translation of that into helping businesses. But again, I'm going to say skills again. And in this case, I think as much as you need on the ground skills, you also need management skills. Small firm managers are struggling with this challenge. Medium and large firms are finding this a challenge. So we need to help with new management approaches to becoming sustainable as companies. Uh, and again, but I think our region's got a lead in all these areas. Fantastic. As you say, everything comes down to people, doesn't it? It's people, leadership, skills, what we need to bring people together to get things done. Fab. So, of course, in times of change and challenge, there's also always opportunities. And we've definitely seen some of those examples of brilliant innovation that you alluded to over the course of the pandemic. But looking ahead, you know, all of the sort of headwinds that we're seeing at the moment around potential inflation, skill shortages versus the positives of improving business confidence and sort of expectations for the year ahead. Looking at that total environment, how adaptive and resilient is the city? And do you think there's opportunities to keep boosting that innovation to support future prosperity? So I think I'm very positive, absolutely very positive. Um, you know, we have been hit hard. The challenges for this region are greater than, you know, most other regions. But actually, the starting point we had um, was a really good growth trajectory. We were on a, we, were, we had momentum. We've got to recover that. Um, we've got to put in place the kinds of structures that enable adaptability. And that's a complex point, but actually 
we've got an excellent legacy. We had a fantastic and still have a fantastic automotive manufacturing industry. But actually what underlies that is the latent capability, the assets, the talent, the engineering people uh, and the technology to pivot and translate what we know into new areas, space, aerospace, digital, creative, uh, health sciences and, and, and customized health interventions, the translation medicine piece. We have all the raw materials for that, um, but it means a restructuring and a refocusing of large and small firms, but also our institutions and our universities working better together to say, look, um, we did great stuff. We've now got to turn to doing great stuff that will enable growth in the future. And that's a, that's a sort of structural challenge for every region. Um, I'm hugely optimistic about our prospects because of where we're at now. We've come through the challenge. The, the business optimism figures we look at from the PMI and other surveys suggest that you know, people on the ground have been through a hell of a lot. But when they look ahead, they say, you know, we're going to grow. And uh, I think that gives me a hell of a lot of faith that there's a new level of confidence in the region. Um, so, yeah, I'm positive. Um, it's a way to go yet. Uh, we're not out of the woods, but um, I think this is a great region and it's going to be an even greater region. Fantastic. I couldn't agree more. When anyone asks me, what's Birmingham like? I always say it's diverse, it's smart, it's connected and it's entrepreneurial. And when you've got that as a base, there's a heck of a lot you can do to adapt, uh, innovate and grow. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for another fantastic deep dive into a Birmingham economic review. I think you're effectively a friend of the show by this point, (laughs) now that we've done quite a few of these podcasts over the last six years. And it is always fascinating to do that explore of just what is really going on in the city after a fast moving 12 months. Thank you very much again. And listeners, please do remember to subscribe to the Chamber podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us at GRBham Chambers on Twitter or Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce on LinkedIn for the latest local business news and views. And if you're listening on the day of release or soon after, there's still time to register for the live streamed launch of the Birmingham Economic Review for 2021. It's going to be on the 21st of October. And if you're listening later, you can download the Birmingham Economic Review from the Chamber website. Thank you.